Welcome to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, education, and more. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also find us on all social media networks at Real Talk That Talk. And now, let's start the show. Well, welcome everybody to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Please make sure that as soon as you come in, hit the like button, man. Let's get these likes up. Go ahead and click that like button. It don't take long, and it's free to click a like button. Also, please make sure you go over to the YouTube. If you're watching us on Facebook, go over to the YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and click the bell so you can get those notifications. All right? Let's get it started. All right. Let's start off with the first topic. Um, Actually, I think this will kind of go right into what we're talking about. Um, and all of us educators on here, uh, this is something I was thinking about earlier this year or not this year, but earlier, um, this week and actually a little bit during the Thanksgiving week. So here we go. Are we overthinking or taking a Eurocentric approach to teaching our kids? I'll ask the question again. Are we overthinking or taking a Eurocentric approach to teaching our kids. Now, let me let me kind of give you just a little bit of context. It was this one school that I was teaching at, um, and it was a lot of it was a lot of us. It was a lot of chocolate folk in, this, in the school. It was a predominantly black school. And while I was teaching, or I was having the conversation uh, about my teaching styles and what I what I prefer to do one of the assistant principals uh, said, well, you know, I know it can be a little frustrating, but you got to meet them where they are and blah, 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 blah. It was a, it was a long conversation with that. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I kind of felt like I have two different versions of that, that context of meet them where they are. Um, but I know that there are a lot of times when we have conversations amongst ourselves and amongst other peers and, I just was randomly thinking one day, is this a Eurocentric approach or are we overthinking the way that we approach, especially our band kids or our music, music kids? Um, so that's the question. Are we overthinking or taking a Eurocentric approach to teaching our kids? All right. Rick. First of all, no. Like, what? Why? Why does everything have to be divided by race when it comes to what what this group does and what that group does? Like, I mean, let's let's just be real. So, first and foremost, the question you said was prefaced with these students. You got to meet them where they are. To me, when I hear something like that, that just means that these students aren't going to be able to play uh, John Mackey this year at um, Wine Dark Sea. But that doesn't mean they can't play Foundry or they can't play, you know, uh, This Cruel Moon by John Mackey. Like having a level of expectation, which still uh, gives you the opportunity to have high standards. You know, y'all know me. I just get so frustrated when we we automatically assume that a, a group can't do something because of, you know, whether it's socioeconomic or whether it's, historical perspective or whatever, man. Like, 
a teacher with high expectations and a, and a plan can make any band be successful. And I wanted a parent like what you, what all y'all. Matter of fact, I realized one of y'all are doing. You know, I brought up Mario's band last week. Mario got some of the most effed up circumstances of anybody, and his band swings harder than a lot of these colleges. I know, I heard him. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know, man. I'm never gonna subscribe to that Eurocentric approach to teaching. No, I mean, if you want to think about it, all American music. It's based in the in Western music, European canon. Ain't nobody talking about no 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 pro- predominantly African composers. We're not talking about that. Everything we do, from what we studied in college to what we teach every day, is based in the, the Western tradition, which comes from Europe. You know, so you know which, that that part. If you're talking specifically from that, then yes, because that's what we were all trained to do which was why on the very first show I said, or second show, I was like, you know, students should be able to choose the curriculum and path that they want to do, not just what we think they should know. We, you know, everybody needs to know music theory. But at the end of the day, once you learn that music theory, you should be able to apply it to what you want to do, whether that's church music, whether that's, you know, R&B, whatever, jazz, whatever. So, yeah, man, I think from a Eurocentric standpoint, we got to get out of that that train of thought that anything that goes that our students can't do is considered like, oh, it just boils my blood. Our students can achieve no matter what the situation. We just have to set achievable goals and and build on them every year. So, no. Stop getting mad. <laughs> Chief, are we taking a, are we overthinking or taking a Eurocentric approach to teaching our kids? No, I don't think we're um, taking a Eurocentric. I, well, I do think we're taking a Eurocentric approach when it comes to the history of music practice because we, even at HBCU, we're learning European forms and things that have come out of the, you know, that era of music. I mean, Western music is, you know, we we're not studying. I mean, even if you study, even if you're studying, you know, William Van Steel, you're studying, uh, you know, whoever, you know, black composers, they're still practicing. Western musical theory, like that's Mario, from that approach. Sonata <laughs> Allegro form ain't come from New Orleans, baby. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's not that's yeah. what I'm saying. You know, that's right? Like it ain't come sir. Through composers, right. not so, <laughs> so because of that, no, because of that, like I think we, I think it may be a negative thing that we continue to say that when we say Euro, Eurocentric approach, it's as, as if it's like some type of negative connotation with it. Like when we say black music and we talk about jazz, there is a there is a European element to jazz. Like people don't want to accept that there is an aspect of it that it's a culmination of things that, you know, became of um, the culture in New Orleans. Now the actual beat and the feel and the pulse of it is from our people. But a lot of the harmonies that come out of the 40s, that's not, Anyway, but I'm not go for it. I, no, I'm gonna Mario, I'm just... Mar- no, but Mario, I, I I need you to go there, bro, because that's why you and I both are such advocates for jazz education being a major part of a well-rounded music education, right? Because right. a that's a music founded by our people. One, right. two, it is at its core American. It was founded by right. American black people, and then three, the innovation and 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 advancement in music that came from that. 
Jazz created American singing. Jazz created the way we right. play. Jazz created the way we think about uh, harmony and uh, and rhythmic, you know, interpretation. Like all those things came from that. But we don't do it enough because why? It's hard. It's hard to teach it to yeah, kids how to swing. You know what I'm saying? So I think you need to go there, bro. For real. So I, I, the the first part of the question was, are we overthinking? I actually, man, I had this conversation today. I had a student that come to me. Um, he's learning percussion. He's uh. Some kids just came to know me. He wanted to play bass drum in a marching band. So, I, you know, I let him come in. And then I told him, I said, it's going to be really important that you learn how to play what you're, you know, what you're doing and, like, putting putting actual notation to what we're doing. And so I told him, you know, to join the concert band and everything. And he came to me today and said he don't want um, – and he's, like, kind of scared to tell me because his kids act like I'm the boogeyman and shit. But, you know, um, but they he, he didn't want to he, – he feels like he wants just to do marching band only and he's enjoying that. And he doesn't really enjoy a concert band. I said, you've never done concert band. I said, the reason you don't enjoy a concert band is because you don't have a certain skill set to be able to allow you to have freedom that you have in marching band. Marching band feels free because of structure. And we have to we have to stop with that idea that um, the structure that the freedom that the most drum lines, like high school drum lines, I mean, there's some outstanding programs that, that are doing a lot of reading. There's also programs that don't do, they're not reading. And they're doing a lot of things by rote or, you know, saying like passing it down through whatever situation they have. And so with these kids, I, they're all beginners and they're the kids that just came to me, never played music before. So I'm teaching them a lot of things from scratch. So because of that, the overthinking came in like, man, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm pushing them in the wrong direction. Maybe I should just let them have this space to just be, you know, just have fun. Like, you know, that whole fun thing. And I'm like, and then the old head in me, like I got the devil and the angel on my shoulders and shit. It's like, it's like, no, but the other side, like, man, when you was in school, man, you had to do this, but it helped you when you learned that. I said, but I'm also a music teacher and a music professional. So um, not everybody who was in my band is a person that cares about going to that level of music. So I told him, I said, you know what? It's all good. I said, you do what you feel like is, is what you connect with. And if we do this right, you will see that it's something of benefit and you'll come back around. And I and I left it there, and that's why I wanted to leave because I feel like as an educator, if I'm forcing somebody to do anything, I don't want to pull nobody to nothing. So the overthinking part is because when you have kids who grow up on music that we were talking about, like rap daddies and stuff like that, then they're not getting this this the, the other side of music. And you can enjoy the rap songs and still enjoy uh, Tchaikovsky. You can enjoy um, you know uh, Tiger Rag and, and enjoy. You know, what I'm saying whatever. I mean, you you can jump around and have enjoyment in different types of music because I feel like we don't have to be so one sided. But I believe that even as much as culture is saying to us that we're diff they're so different than the old school and we were one way, and that, I feel like they're becoming more one way now because you're not allowing versatility and diversity in the stuff that you enjoy. You are afraid to say that you like other stuff or afraid to give it a chance, and so that's what makes it hard for teachers who are a little bit more old school to try to teach the kids who who are almost worried that enjoying something different is going to make them less cool or, or not going to you know they're not going to be able to connect to it and they don't give it a chance and that's just in my experiences though so many people do different things in different schools but in my experience with many beginners that's what i mean i'm experiencing all right that was that was deep brother appreciate you Quan, are we overthinking or taking a Eurocentric approach to teaching our kids? Uh, I, I agree with everybody on the panel. No, I don't. I don't believe we are. I think uh, the way you initially uh, 
with your scenario regarding that administrator. Uh, what I gather from it was when a, anyone tells me meet them where they are, in my opinion, that simply means teach them in a manner where it's attainable so that you can create episodic moments for them to get it so that then you can expand their horizon uh, more so later on. I think, honestly, everybody said it. We all learn music theory the same way. We all know a perfect fourth is a perfect fourth in America. A perfect fourth is a perfect fourth in Africa, so forth and so on. So, I mean, that's established. Now, one thing that we do preach is uh, that music is universal. And that's the blessing part. So music is universal. So I don't care if I'm in Japan or if I'm in uh, Maine, wherever, an uh, eighth note is going to be an eighth note. But at the end of the day, uh, in my opinion, I think you have to teach and uh, make music relatable to whatever students that you're servicing. Like, for example, if I'm teaching at a predominantly Hispanic school, I do need to honestly be mindful of their culture and honestly introduce them to other either Hispanic or, or, or Latin um, Latino uh, composers for them to understand that I can honestly, if it's up to me, uh, up to them, uh, attain that goal of being a composer uh, as well. But also introducing them to African-Americans, white ones as well. I mean, I, I agree with what Rick said, it's not always a black and white thing. But honestly, it truly pedagogy boils down to is it right or is it wrong? In my opinion. Now, is there more than one way to skin a cat? Absolutely. But to attain this result that I'm trying to uh, achieve, it's a right and a wrong way. I know, for example, as a percussionist, it's a way that it's, it's several ways to hold four mallets. But the type of dexterity that I want when I'm playing my four mallets, this is the way that I want it. I, if I want a piston, I want to do a piston. If I want to do a muzzer, I do a muzzer. If I want them to freestyle on some Lionel Hampton type stuff, I'm going to teach it in that manner. But it's the approach of it. I don't I don't, I don't, don't think the approach is quote-unquote Eurocentric, but my question is, is it right? And then how are you making it relatable to the students that you're servicing? That's just what it boils down to. All right. Um, so there's, there's two things that I, I, I want to say, uh, and, and I'm glad you guys, you know, were able to give your thoughts on this. Um, I'm gonna let you guys know, just kind of really let you in on it. Um, the, the, the conversation of meeting them where they are from that administrator was more or less from, um, a, I guess you want to say a dialect or addiction kind of conversation even though uh you all took it where i wanted you all to take it that was more of a they talk like this from they hood so you need to meet them where they are and talk like that so that you can connect with them uh and i yeah yeah that was that was the way i was thinking so <laughs> that's kind of where the the thought process of the the question came from but you all took it to where I, I really wanted you all to go. Um, but the second thing is, um, and 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 I, I have no problem with admitting admitting this. My strength in jazz is not anywhere close to where Mario or Rick Rick's is. So I have a question for one of you all, or if not both of you all. Why do we not 
especially in more predominantly African-American schools, um, use jazz as a building block, if you will, for music theory, or even just teach jazz, period. More jazz in our schools. Because when people go to college, with the exception of schools like maybe Juilliard, if you major in jazz, and some of the big jazz schools or schools like Berkeley, where UNT. you go get your own job. Yeah, UNT, Berkeley. With the exception of schools like that, when you go there, your curriculum is based around the Eurocentric canon. Like, I mean, let's let's just be real. When you go there, you're learning Beethoven, you're learning Mozart, you're learning the different time periods of European music. You know, um, Crystal said in the comments, the drum, you know, uh, syncopation and all those things come from Africa. I mean, we want to be real. The drum itself comes from Africa. You know what I'm saying? But we don't teach that. We teach the first time. You know, how, where do you hear, you know, timpani in music? Came's in the Baroque period. You know, we're studying Bach. I'm in a class now. We're studying Bach cantatas and how, you know, shocking it is to hear timpani in that music because it was a new, you know, concept at that time. So everything that we do is based around a European canon. So that's the reason why. And th from a music department's perspective, when you go there, you have to learn these things to graduate. Right. And very rarely. I think the only time we ever heard about jazz in class at Norfolk was when we did like music appreciation. Mr. Adams made us watch the jazz series. Mario, Mario, you were in my class for that, right? Yeah. 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 Lit, we had to watch the jazz. Yep. Matter of fact, you were in my group. Yeah. 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 Me and you were in the same group. Like Mr. Mm -hmm. Adams made us watch the whole Ken Burns jazz series. And we were required, every group was required to present one of the DVDs. So I remember our group, we had to talk about Charlie Parker. And Charlie Parker, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was in that like that late bebop, like late bebop period, right before Miles joined the group, you know, on. So th to, this is a roundabout way of just saying because it's not required to be learned at the university level. We're required to learn everything else other than that. And it's it's really weird because majority of students that go to HBCUs are not going to be playing in orchestra. You know, they might take some gigs playing in orchestra because they can. A lot of our students are exceptionally talented. They can play in any group. But the majority of them are going to be playing in R&B bands, playing in church, playing in funk bands, playing in rock bands, you know, that type of thing. Like some type of show band. So it's just, it's what's required at these music music institutions and then you know we're talking about accreditation that's a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother topic and then i think the last part too mario and i'll jump out because i know you can speak to this better than i can it's just hard to teach it it's hard to teach it effectively it's hard to teach it in a correct stylistic way it's hard to get kids to learn how to solo it's easy to play granger easier to play granger because all you got to do is look at that music and have a competent director in front of you that can tell you, hey, when playing Granger, this is usually based on folk music from from Europe, England in particular, you know, England, Ireland, all those areas in particular. That folk music is a lot easier to teach than, hey, man, there's a big difference between playing bird and playing cannonball. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think I think that's what it is. Go ahead, Laura. I'm sorry, bro. No, no, I mean, absolutely correct, man. I, I would say one of the things that I think the biggest reason why you don't we don't teach from that pers perspective is because 
there are some um, schools of thought that don't still don't value jazz in general. They don't value it as an equal to classical music. Um, some people believe that it is of lesser um, because it is the structure of it um, allows more freedom and there's more variables to what a successful version of this music would look like. But now in 2021 or in the last 20 years, we've started to have much more um, focus on the jazz curriculums, building up the culture of how to, you know, how to educate people through jazz. And I think um, you'll see that, um, and, and I think we mentioned this in, in some things a while ago. What is it? We got a, what is this? A bot in there? You got a bot? Yes, dog, we get big. We got a Russian bot. Yes! <laughs> I, I already got it, bro. I okay, we got bots and shit? Dude! But no, man, I, I think, and I think you got to understand, so the re that you have a thing where some people don't value it, but secretly know that in order for, like, I'll use Cannonball Adderley. Cannonball Adderley is my all-time favorite saxophone player. Um, and because he played melodies like he like like he was a classical musician, like the way he created melodies was absolutely unbelievable. Um, technically, Bird is the king. Technically, like you know, proficiency and dexterity. But as far as melodic buildup, I I think Cannonball is just like that dude. But not to go too into that, I believe that when people don't know how to teach it properly. They have a difficult time. They have a difficult time trying to justify it in the academic space because they can say, "Well, see, we're just going to focus on the, you know the classical music because that is where you know." I mean, think about it from 1909, early public first public school programs in America. Um, going back to that point, everything was based on Euro Eurocentric kind of like the you know like European canon as, as as Rick was talking about, and because of that. Jazz was still growing its legs. You know what I mean? Growing its legs. It's still relatively young. Like, you know, it's its second youngest, really, to, well, third youngest to, to um, you know, to hip hop and, and rock. And then you got jazz and blues. I mean, that's it's not that old. But when you don't have people who go to school and learn how to properly teach how to swing, um, if you're teaching swing as a dotted eighth note and a 16th note, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you don't know what you're doing. So, like, that's a part of it, that's a part of that issue. So, um, people can't teach it, and so when you can't teach it, you 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 fight against it. And the other part of that too, Mario, is exactly what we experienced. All me, you, and Julian both were all in jazz band together. Jazz band is not a major ensemble at a lot of universities, so right? It always gets taught, uh, treated as a second class citizen. Yep. Whereas. The stuff we were playing in jazz band was 10 times harder than the stuff yeah. we were playing in concert band. Right, right. So, and, yo, go ahead, Kwon. No, no, no. But I was I was about to say that, you know, just to jump in the conversation with, with you both, that's some of the issue, though. Like, that's not even, you know, pending the university that, you, that you're attending, that's not even premiered and pushed forward itself. Again, it goes back to what you know and what's comfortable. Like, we said on several shows, the main focus of a lot of HBCUs are the marching band, because that's your lucrative, you know, cash cow. And then it's concert band. And then pending that university, your 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 concert band may not be doing shit. So it's all of that. So it's like you have an art form that you're not really tapping into, which is concert band or wind ensemble. 
and then you have jazz band. So many of these music educators are not really having the experience that they truly need, you know, with jazz band to learn it, like you said, adequately enough to teach it then to a high school and so forth and so on. But but Quan, I think a, a, the, the other part of this is this. We, we got to be more creative as directors, right? So like when when I got the PV, the jazz band program only had like 10 people and it was like a little small, like an ensemble. It was a, a small ensemble. And Prof Sanders was doing a great job, man. Like he was writing music for that ensemble, like specifically for that group. And they were playing. When I t- uh, took it over, man, it went from that to, okay, we're going to, we need to have different types of groups, right? So we had the big band, uh, which, you know, did concerts and all that stuff. But then I also had a small ensemble. And that small ensemble, I was thinking past school. I'm like, look, y'all, this is something you can take that can take you into your career. So they were gigging. You know, the highlight one of the highlights of my time at PV was the small ensemble. My small ensemble opened up for Layla Hathaway at her concert in Houston that year. So we were the we were the opening act for that. And that came directly from we had played for when the provost retired, we played for her gig. And somebody there was like, damn, man, these kids can play. So we would have opened an act for Layla Hathaway when she came to town, man. So that's what's up. Yeah, like we you have to be more creative with how you market what you do. And you know, you hear me say that all the time, Quan. Like it's easy to, for band directors and jazz educators to sit at home and say, Whoa, it's me. You know, I can't do nothing. No, or you can say, you know what, okay, that's the hand I was dealt. How can I, you know, the same thing we do in spades? You will have a bunch of red in your hand, like, all right, I'm going to get these two books. I don't care what nobody say. I'm going to get these two books. You know, we got to have that same mentality as educators. I mean, I'm going to tell you now, I don't understand the the spades reference because I don't play spades. All right, go ahead. No, I was going to say, man, quickly, um, first of all, I don't know. that's ridiculous. Brad. Exactly. Thank you, bro. Stay in the living room, bro. Stay in the living room. That's ridiculous. I guess I, guess I just lost my black card. Yeah. I, I don't know about I, hey, I ain't black card you. I'm just saying that's just ridiculous. I mean, like, but I will say this. There is um something that I don't know we've discussed. Um I wonder if there is uh if many black educators go to professional developments. I wonder how many of us really spend time going to places to see, to hear about what, you know, what's new in their craft and like really spending time trying to develop um, themselves and just kind of like put new notches in their belts. I always say that my favorite hero, not superhero, but hero because he's a regular person is Batman because Batman always brings um, a wealth of tools in his tool belt and he's, he's resourceful. He wins fights because his resourcefulness. I mean, obviously, being a billionaire helps you be resourceful, but the reality of that is, in a cartoon sense, is you keep at, you have things that you can pull out, little things you pull out your belt to be able to have. And I think, as a music educator, dealing with all the things we kind of face, especially in public education on the secondary level, you have to constantly be innovative in the way that you're approaching kids and the things that you are saying. I'm finding myself now saying, I got to do some more PD. I need more PD. I need to get better. And the only last piece I wanted to mention with that is that. With the PD that's offered, I know in, in in many places, New Jersey is actually kind of different because New Jersey has a strong jazz, um, you know, pedagogy kind of environment here. Many PDs, like in the public school realm, they don't even discuss jazz at, at all, jazz education at all. And I just saw somebody post in the chat about that. Like, 
at North Texas, they didn't even mention jazz theory in your ed classes. That's like, to me, that's like, that's crazy. So if you're in a school where the, like one of the highlights of the entire university is how outstanding this music, this jazz program is, and in the, and in the education realm of music, they're not really discussing how this should be taught and how this should be kind of correlated to the, you know, the middle school and elementary school and how we could bring kids up through this avenue. That's a problem. And so many of our like HBCUs, there many of them that I know, and I can't speak for every school, but many that I know aren't doing that either. It's really unfortunate. All right. Yeah, man, that, that all of that was, was definitely deep. Um, and it's really interesting to hear. Um, and it's almost funny because, you know, just, just for me asking the question, the only thing I took from it was, all right, well, you just got to go get that shit yourself and figure it out. Cause that's almost basically what I, I just heard from all of that. Um, which is massively unfortunate. So, but, uh, all right, cool. Let's keep it moving, man. Uh, because we got a lot more to go. So let's do it right. Welcome, everybody, to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Please make sure that as soon as you come in, you go ahead and get that like button. Smash it. All right, let's get these likes up, man. I appreciate all of those who have already done it. So just go ahead and click that free like button. You can even give it a thumbs down. It's all good if you do, but, you know, just go ahead and click something. You can click a like, give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, give me a heart, whatever you need, but go ahead and click something. Yeah, go ahead with cheese on them. <laughs> All right. Also, please make sure you go over to the YouTube page if you're watching us on Facebook and subscribe to the network. Click that bell so you can turn on notifications. There we go. I was a little late on that. My bad. All right. Here we go. Let's go to the next topic. Um, I know that we didn't had a, a we, we were a little bit hot right there. So I'm going to bring it down just a little bit. I don't know because y'all like to go in and that's that's why I love y'all, man. Y'all my boys. All right. So here we go. Um, one of the things that we were talking about, yeah, how you do the, how you do the, 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 is that the Chinese love joint? I think it's like that. Yeah. The little Chinese heart daddy. Or I, I think, I think that's it. I think it's either Chinese or Japanese. I've seen somebody do it. I, my wife will tell me later, but it's a heart. You see it? It's a little heart with your two fingers. All right. Anyway. Uh, and then you got this, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Quan don't know what we doing right now. <laughs> Quan, Quan lost. It's all good. Now we'll, we'll explain it to you later. Um, but, uh, let's go ahead and keep it moving, man. So <laughs> chop. Um, so, um, one of the things that we were talking about earlier is, is we were talking about, um, um, the Bayou classic and, and, you know, the expectation of, what we expect from music and all that kind of stuff. But then let me go and bring it a little further. Uh, I really was going to try not to bring it up too much, but we all know that there was a, a, a hashtag going on with, with Prairie View. And I know that we had all had the conversation about Prairie View. Maybe I want to say maybe or two weeks prior, which was very interesting uh, how that came up. Uh, those two things actually correlated and uh, shout out to everybody who was actually you know, pushing our, our video along. Uh, we, we, a lot of people was watching that video that, uh, we did from that show, uh, where Rick was really going in and he spilled the beans, but it's all good. You know what I'm saying? Unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable. But that made me think though, because what ended up happening is I was looking through my, a lot of my social media feeds. What I would ended up hearing was that a lot of alumni 
uh, were having, I guess, some negative comments about, you know, some of the information that was being being shared. I don't know what it was, but it made me think for a second, you know, because a lot of people get frustrated with alumni. I know that as a as a band director from a high school perspective and also being at the at the assistant uh, at the assistant level at the university perspective, we dealt with alumni as well. So here's the question on the floor. What should the role of alumni be? What should the role of alumni be? Quan. I think you was going to come to me first. Uh, so I've had run-ins with alumni with my own alma mater at Prairie View, literally, as well as, as being a director of a high school as well. The role of alumni person should should merely be a supportive uh, advocate for that new uh, for that new you know band director position or whatever to continue to continue to support the school, but honestly stay in their lane to share their opinion in a positive manner, but also understand like you don't run shit though, like, and that's that's the true bottom line. Like at the end of the day, what people fail to realize is approach is everything you could tell me whatever you want just have tact like real talk and you have to understand the lane that you're in you're an alumni but you don't have this pressure of being in this position or seat you don't know what i had to agree upon to even receive this seat or you know what i'm saying like i i feel like alumni real talk they feel entitled because you felt like you marched there them days are over, though. That time has come and gone. I mean, uh, alumni can be, honestly, a breath of fresh air or it can be a pain in the ass. Honestly, just just bottom line. In my opinion, the things that I saw, because I am in that alumni group, we have a lot of alumni that are flat out, and I'm excuse my language going this rough, but they're fucking ignorant. Plain and simple. And they don't know. And I really, I really feel that, you know, people are so stuck in their ways behind their quote unquote achievements while they were either marching. And then some of them didn't even march. That's the, some of the issues that I have, but I mean, alumni, you should be an advocate for your university, high school, whatever the case may be. You should be a supportive person and don't be that person on the internet saying what you want to do. Do it. Come have a conversation. Get to know those people. Get to know the the motive behind this is why we're moving in this direction and do that and then keep it pushing. But all of that, well, I don't feel like they should do this. And that band director ain't doing this and so forth and so on. Man, you don't know what that man or or that young lady struggle is. So so you're making things worse because you're gaslighting and saying things on the Internet. That's not true. That's creating a narrative against that director that his job is already hard already man i'm gonna get off this alumni because it, it's so much i can say bro it's, it's it's ridiculous this listen bro i i can i can hear the heat coming out of your voice man but i will say this remember this unscripted unfiltered uncomfortable it, if it gets uncomfortable that's part of that's part of why we're here to have these uncomfortable conversations because some people think well i ain't gonna i ain't gonna put my my personal opinion out because I know most of y'all are going to say it anyway. All right. Uh, but let's keep it moving, though. Uh, <laughs> Mario, 
what should the role of the alumni be? Um, <clears throat> to support the program in a space that allows them um, room for innovation. Um, oftentimes, many alumni um, believe that everything needs to be a repeat of the past. They want the band to look and sound and act and do everything they did um, so that they can feel like everybody, because it's almost like a rite of passage a little bit. We do that a lot with our culture in general. Everybody, you know, like a person, you know, got hazed up back when they was in the band. They feel like everybody need to come through a certain way. And if they don't come through a certain way, then they then they soft and all the kids is trash. And this is whack. And they'll find ways to try to like downgrade the program and make it less than when they were in it. Because it's, it's a bit sometimes like a, it, it can be in some in some schools and some spaces like almost like crabs in a barrel. People are looking to try to find anything they can find that's wrong to try to pull down the program. And even if you and even those people who say we're not saying it on a public forum, you know, stuff like that. I'm not saying it in a public forum, but you're saying it amongst each other. And when you say it amongst each other, you you permeate a certain energy that then that kind of, um, you know, cultivates negative, you know, negativity around the band program. Um, and then uh, many kids I know I know I felt like I hadn't done my job when it comes to my alma mater. I haven't done a better, a good enough job when it comes to reaching out to the current students. I feel like I have things that I can offer them and I haven't talked to them. So I'm calling myself to the carpet, you know, like in saying that I, I, I'm going to do a better job of reaching out to, you know, kids that, you know, that's our, you know, future educators. Um, what, shout out to Anisha Downey. She's a alto saxophone section leader at Norfolk State. Um, she's from Science Park High School and she's doing her senior recital this Friday. Um, so, you know, shout out to her. Or actually this Saturday. I think it's Saturday. So, um, but I, alumni should be supportive of their program. Um, uh, let their, let it go. That's a big one right there. Let it go, man. Your time is done, man. Your time is done. It's not your time to march no more. So let it go, man. Like do do the best you can to uh, be positive. Um, that don't mean you have to agree with everything. And if you do have a, a strong disagreement, and you feel real passionate about something that you want to discuss, then find a proper way and pro proper channel to reach out to the director of bands or a staff member so you actually funnel that energy in the right way. And then all of this talking usually don't lead into to the, 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 that, that, the three T's, the time, talent, and treasury. You ain't putting that treasury in there. So you may have a lot of stuff to say, but you're not putting any money behind it. You know what I mean? And so one of the things that um that I had, um, well, I won't talk about it because I'm still, it's working on an initiative that I think that'll be great for um many chapters of KK Sal with their alma mater. And I think it will be great. Something I had mentioned to um some brothers. So um, I got some ideas rolling around in my head. Um, I need to pay my dang on alumni dues to stop bullshit. But anyway, um, so I'm saying this to you guys because that is a part of it. You won't hear me saying a bunch of stuff about stuff because I'm not putting my money behind what my mouth is. So if I ain't if I ain't putting the money behind it, I'm not going. You ain't gonna hear me saying nothing on a public forum or otherwhere. Otherwise, because that's just you know I just have I believe in that. I believe in that. So when we have alumni, they should be coming back um, when asked. You know what I mean? When when requested, when asked. Sometimes it's OD. They come back all the time. They filling up the rehearsals. The energy's negative kids are like uncomfortable around them. You know what I mean? Some of these people are like, you know, career students or just like old heads that just aggr extra aggressive and it's a different type of time. So people are just, you know, feeling uncomfortable about that energy and some, you know, and I know, you know, for whoever's listening for different, different programs, they may like, Oh man, that's soft, man. These people need to, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm like, um, every era can say that about the era previous. Everybody's going to always have something about some other era and say they wouldn't this and they didn't do that. Like, it's just like kind of appreciate where things are. 
because I know my alma mater they're doing things now that we didn't do, and that's that's a good thing. I, I like I love that. You know what I mean? So I as an alumni, my support right now as an educator, the best thing I could do is put competent, highly skilled students into them seats. So you can't. That's to me the best way to support. Keep it going. I. Uh... I mean, uh, yeah, man. I, yeah. Okay. My bad. Jamar said, I, where, I, where, Maya? Yeah, Maya, that's, that's, what, that's what I was on right there. I, that's why I didn't have, had nothing to say because I was looking over at the... They trying to see her do when she ran fresh. Check her out. I got you. We had to text Maya let her know she's missed tonight. You Otis. All right. Rick, what's the role of the alumni? So you you preface the comment talking about the issue at Prairie View. I've talked to some of those alumni, so I know exactly what's going on there. Quan, I know you know too, but you know you can't you can't say it. But I don't, I don't work there, so I'm gonna say it. The problem is is that Prairie View, they scumbag self, is trying to cut the scholarship budget of that band by almost seventy percent. That is what's happening. How the hell? This is another example of what I was talking about where that band is good in spite of them kids out there busting their ass working every day. Y'all out there, you don't know how good you have it. Those kids are outside rehearsing. They do not have an indoor rehearsal space. No matter what the weather, no matter what the temperature, Prairie View's band rehearses outside only. They are in Texas. It's hot there and now it's cold there. Those students have to rehearse outside. That's the, that's the thanks they get for what they do for that university. That's part of the demands that those students have. They don't even have a damn place to rehearse. This is what I'll be talking about, man, when I'm talking about in spite of. There's no band room at Prairie View? They have a band room, but the band room is not big enough. And big room. enough no more. Right, yeah, the, the band has outgrown the band room. At this and then point. the other part of that, Mario, is they have larger spaces on campus. PV hasn't been working with them. They have an MSC right across the street. The MSC can hold that whole band. But for wow. some reason, Prairie View thinks it's okay to just leave them kids standing, sitting outside in front of the building, going deaf, playing at that building, and and playing wow. outside in the elements. That's what they get for all their hard work. They should be wreaking holy hell. That's messed up, dude. That's why these students That's are protesting. messed up. That's messed know up. I'm a, you know I don't care. I'm going to tell it That's all. messed up, dude. Alumni come back for homecoming and get lied to by administrators. Administrators come over and lie to the band, saying things like, "Oh, uh, it's SGA fault, y'all's y'all budget getting cut." Them students deserve way better than what they get from that institution, man. Wow. Like, I'm sorry, y'all. Like, we can sit up here. This, like we say, uncomfortable, you know, conversation. There are a lot of bands in this country that face the same type of deal that they're facing from Tuskegee, who said, "You know what? F this. We ain't doing nothing until y'all treat us like human beings." We wouldn't not one one person on this call, Mario. I can't imagine you sending your daughter to a school and they tell your daughter, "Oh yeah, figure it out." Oh no. But these yeah, same oh, go ahead, Quan. But these same bands and programs have performed at Rose Bowl. Yeah, have performed. That's at what I'm saying. Like, performing is, is a top program in the country, bro. Yeah. Like, how do you just not have a band rooms like that? I mean, but, I've but, seen Mario, you have a you have a a, a whole list of bureaucrats. That make over a hundred thousand dollars, and they're gonna protect that check at all costs. Them kids at PV come back, 
the damn the damn um budget is empty. There's no money in the account. They can't we we can't give Scott can't do nothing. Can't pay for camp nothing. They can't even travel because they don't know what's happening. But oh, we love the band though. Get them kids that drags. Y'all see that drags turkey they gave them kids for Thanksgiving. Or even or even say say this. We've never had a music building to ourselves. Like even all of those things, bro. Like we've never had a music building to ourselves. We've never had like it, it's a lot, bro. Like imagine what like it's bad now. It was bad then. And honestly, boys have been robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, all these years, I, you know, you don't know. How, I've seen Prophet walk and fuss at administration to be like, "You gotta feed the kids and do like it's bad, dog." You know what I'm saying? Like these band directors, a lot of these band directors across the countries have made a dollar out of fifteen cent. And I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna be clear. I don't know Nathan Hamer. I made I met him twice. But if everybody says who he says he is as the good character, I'm not speaking about that other shit or allegations or whatever. But I'm going to say this. If if the character of that man is according to the people that who uh, march for him and whatnot. Well, guess what? I see why some of these band directors get in trouble with finances. But but you know what, Quan, that. I'm not going to speak on that situation. I've only met him once, and that was at the uh, consortium uh, meeting that you and I were talking about last week. He seems like a great brother. I have no, you know, nothing negative to say about that brother. What I will say is this. The way that business is is handled at most of these HBCUs is deplorable. Most definitely. I was a band business manager. I was managing the budget there. Dealing with people just just sheer incompetence, y'all. Like people overqual underqualified for these positions, they get to dictate to you what your band can and can't do. When when Prairie View went to um to uh um New York for the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade, if I could only preach to y'all some of the stress we had to deal with getting that band there, like y'all, if y'all when these students get online. And they take the time to post these hashtags and do these protests. We all need to pay attention because these kids ain't doing this because they just want to do it or they ain't doing it because they mad because they ain't get their refund check on time. Our only at our school do we abuse the hell out of our people and tell them, oh, just deal with it. Like Julian was saying at Texas Tech, something was wrong. They reached out to him to get it straight. We treat our students like like pure shit. These are black people, and we treat them like they don't matter, and like they're not paying for an education, right? Like, it ain't no different from like Howard. It, it ain't no different right. from the housing yeah. situation at Howard. Yeah. It's, it's the it's the same thing, just a different chapter or in a different book. It's the yeah. same thing. It's it's <laughs> I like I, mold mold problems, financial aid issues. How many how many HBCU? We you know you can put those little uh, you know clips and stuff on Instagram. How many people can go? And say they had financial aid issues at an HBCU. Probably everybody. Right? Oh, there was that one person that went all over you. That's long ass lines. You know what I'm saying? Dealing with people with attitudes. You come up. You've been waiting in a line for four hours. You get up, and the lady is an old lady, pissed off that she there. She don't want to be there. She don't really know nothing about finance or nothing. She just, you know, what I mean, it's just like damn, like why do I have to go through this? You know what I mean? And then I, I, I had a very uncomfortable conversation. 
Um, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to do too much of talking about my alma mater, but I'll say there's things that, that are the negative things that we've experienced are sometimes the separating factors in a very ironic way that makes us so damn kind of good in bad situations, which is why people continue to allow the shit to continue poorly. Like, you know, you learn how to persevere through nonsense because you get good at it. You become a professional finesser and shit. You know how to deal with all these problems. So we get in situations where like Julian stuff, the stuff you were talking about, the Quan stuff you're talking about, we're dealing with situations that are like, you're against, something's constantly against you. And it's like, I'm not saying that other ethnicities, other people don't deal with that, but I wonder if they deal with it at the magnitude that we have to. And it, and that ain't nobody but us though. It ain't nobody but us. That's us doing it to ourselves. Like that's no, that's no, nobody's puppet mastering nobody. You don't have to, they don't cost shit to be nice to somebody. I mean, so that's a problem, man. But the flip side of that, Mario, is what you and Quan said at the very beginning of this discussion. The reason why they don't listen to us is because all we do is criticize. There is no money involved in that. If right. all these alumni band organizations was donating $100,000 a year to these schools, they'd be right there listening to every demand you had. Pi Gamma at Norfolk State. Uh, shout out to Pi Gamma chapter, Pure Gold chapter, most thunderous chapter in the third day. But um, yeah, um, we wanted things done at Norfolk State. So every year we put our money where our mouth is. Pi Gamma is the only chapter on Norfolk State's campus for a while. I think the AKs do it now too. That was donating $100,000 annually to Norfolk State. My chapter has donated millions of, like, millions of dollars to that school. So when we come and we say we want something, people listen. We we sponsor for our members of Pagama chapter. We sponsor two to three scholarships a year for our chapter brothers, like as an incentive to a continue to do well in school, but also to say, hey man, we want to put our money in investing you, so you can in turn do the same thing when you leave. So it, it's a it's a double sided thing. I can't put that all on them because Guan. You and your alumni, brothers and sisters, y'all going to have to put your money where your mouth is. Y'all going to have to come to PV and say, look, oh, y'all not listening? All right. And then overspend, donate a million dollars to the school. All right, now, I bet y'all will listen now. If we won't take, we won't give you this damn money no more. But they don't have to listen when when all your all your complaints are virtual. That's right. You're right. You're right, Rick. You're right. You're right. So You're right. So that I mean that's the that's the the nuts and bolts of it. PV, I, y'all get my utmost respect. I know you know people may not like some of the things y'all do or the traditions and all, but the fact of the matter is PV is a great band, like Mario said, and what Doctor Zachary and Brandon and Chap all them guys are doing, Bria with what they have, it, it's truly a, a blessing, and and I respect the hell out of them as colleagues you know, uh, in this thing called music education because they got the patience of Joe. Because I'm telling you right now, when I was there, Quan, you know, when I was there, the cuss out game was real. They used to hate when I came over there. I didn't care. So, you know, just understand, y'all, that, you know, what you see in these videos, yeah, that's that's the the, the fun part of it. That's the, the celebration of the hard work that led there, including the outright abuse and disrespect that a lot of our HBCU band programs deal with every single year. 
right. Um, and I think I guess you kind of mentioned it, but so what should the role of the alumni be? I'm just saying. Yeah, I said exactly what the alumni PV is doing. They yeah, I got you. The faces, they need to be loud and vocal. But like Mario Kwan said, on the other flip side, they need to put them dollars where their mouth is. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that's that's what I thought. That was the that was the answer. I just wanted to make sure that that was the actual answer, and I didn't want to assume. All right, cool, cool. I hey, I rock with it. I rock with it one hundred percent. And and like I said, and and like I, I don't know if you guys noticed, well, I, I tag y'all and everything, but I didn't know if you noticed that I posted it. But I like I said, we we stand with them. We gonna stand behind them because you know I I knew what was going on. Uh, but you know, like it's I always say it's not my place to to put all that information out there all the time. But yeah, one hundred percent. I think that some of the things that they are dealing with is definitely a disservice. Uh, but we gonna we gonna keep on pushing that information out and, and keep supporting them, man. All I right, mean, let's. Oh, go ahead. You got it, bro. I just want to say one thing. It's crazy because you know, I know alumni. You're absolutely right, and I'm I'm gonna do better. So y'all charging me to do better. Real talk. Uh, as a as an alumni storm person, but I say this: all the money that Prairie has received in grant money. In the last two years, like <laughs> it's a slap in the face. Like it's public knowledge that it was fifty fifty million dollars several times. So we just got to do better, man. Yeah, but see that money, Quan is is spoken for. Like that that's the thing we got to realize about college, y'all. The key to college funding is endowment. So if they didn't endow that fifty million dollars, then they can't just spend it any way they want to. That has it has to be spent on specific things. HBCUs usually have like a three, four million dollar endowment at the most. And that's money that's given by alumni. So you're you are absolutely right, Quan. Yesterday was given Tuesday. Let's see how many people put their money because there was a link where you could donate donate directly to PV's band. You didn't even have to go through the red tape of the school. How many people actually took advantage of that? Don't just complain from afar, y'all. Take advantage when they do. If I was PV, I'll post a band, I'll post it again. So that's 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 the thing, man. Understand that they can give you as much money as you want, but it, those monies have to be spent in specific things. It's probably like a STEM program or something like that. It's endowments, y'all. All right, we everybody went in on that. I appreciate y'all, man. So let's keep it rolling. Uh, as we always say, welcome everybody to talk that talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music music education and more go ahead and click that like button while you're in here let's get these likes up man i appreciate everybody who's commenting in the, in the chat make sure you go ahead and click that like button it's free all right go ahead and do the free thing also please make sure that if you're watching us on youtube uh subscribe to the network if you're not watching us on youtube and you're on the facebook go over to the youtube subscribe to the network also let me put this out here as well if you are subscribed to the network on youtube but you are not following us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Facebook. That way you can continue any of the conversations that we're having over there. You're also free to bring up whatever conversations that you would like. And we can also discuss that. Some of us will be in there in and out uh, conversing on that. All right. Cool. Cool. Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic, which actually goes right into what we were just talking about. So a lot of people have a lot of these things to say about 
HBCUs and what goes on in HBCUs and how we give our people a disservice and blah, 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 and this and that. And sometimes we don't treat our own band kids right. So let me ask you this question. Do HBCUs serve a purpose anymore? Do they serve a purpose anymore? Why or why not? Do HBCUs serve a purpose anymore? Why or why not? Mario. Yes. Um, HBCUs, in my opinion, will always serve a purpose. Um, I didn't go to HBCU because of band. I mean, I was funded through that way, but I went to HBCU because growing up in Detroit, um, I dealt with uh, many people who know my life story, man. I got, I, I had some rough times, you know, growing up in Detroit. And, uh, I didn't always see the positive versions of us, man. And so going to a historical black college uh, gave me an opportunity to um, collaborate, you know, cultivate and build with, with, you know, some positive black brothers and sisters um, over the years, man, and friendships that I still have today. Not to say you can't get that at other schools, but um, that, that aspect specifically to me is not um, pronounced. It's not, it's not um, focused in on, and I think having smaller classrooms uh, where you can have better relationships with your professors, building those uh, that, that environment, I think that suited me and where I was. Um, I think it also is important to um, not erase our history. Our history, you know, these schools are founded most through churches and stuff like that, through um, places when we didn't have any other opportunities to go to school other places. We were fighting hard to try to, you know, um, fit into the, the general public, and the general public didn't want us to be educated, man. So HBCU served as a uh, source that at one time was putting out the finest of us, you know. And I still think, um, even now, we still do that. Um, but at that time, it was it felt like from the things that I've read and seen and and talked to, you know, um, you know, shout out to. Uh, um, Dexter Allgood, who was who was who used to be department chair in Norfolk State, who actually became um, a, you know like a like a second father to me, man. Um, he was up here in, in Newark, um, and um, he w- he would always talk to me about Virginia State back in the seventies and his experience, you know, pledging Alpha and like just things of that nature and like how that experience was back in the day. Don't be don't shake your head, Rick. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You're not first, your last, Ricky Bobby, baby. <laughs> Uh, but no, in all seriousness, I think, you know, like his experience, you know, he was like, he went home one day and his, he, on his, I think he had went with his dad and they went to see, you know, Martin Luther King speak. They got a chance to, you know, speak all the people that, that are out of lives in our culture now, they, they, it was going on then. A lot of the movements that happen within our culture start in HBCUs and, and are sprouted from that. I think that's an important aspect of our, of who we are. It's our is a part of our fabric, you know, you know, and I, I just think that um it's okay for us to have our own lane. It doesn't mean I'm mad at people for going to PWIs. I'm just I think it's good to, to also have our own lane. So that's my my slightly short version of that. All right, Rick, do HBCUs serve a purpose anymore? Why or why not? Yeah, I'm gonna be brief on this because. You know, people that watch our show, they know how I feel about supporting black. Like that is my number one thing when it comes to lifting up our community. You must support what you say you love. So my short answer is this. Yes, HBCUs serve a purpose. As Phoenicia said, they're going to always serve a purpose. 
But the thing about it is we must appreciate that purpose. You know, one of the things that separates HBCUs in particular from other institutions is that HBCUs give a lot of African-American people and Hispanic people or whoever the opportunity that may not have had the opportunity at other schools to go to college. There are not of non-traditional students at HBCUs, and that alone makes them relevant. You know, being able to change your family's trajectory because you got a college education. We all know that that's not a guarantee, but it definitely gives you a better shot. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, as Quan was saying, like, when you look at the early traditions of all these schools, man, like, they, oh, I'm sorry, Mario. When Mario was saying, like, yeah, they were all founded for different things, whether it was churches starting, you know, to educate blacks. You have a school like Howard who was founded for the sons and daughters of slaves and, you know, like mulatto Mm -hmm. people. Like, these schools have always had that type of of calculus when it comes to what they stand for. The problem is now is that I think we all love our HBCUs, but because of the trying experiences that so many people have going to these schools, then they turn around and go to another school, which is usually a PWI, they usually end up repping that school more than the HBCU that they went to because of the experiences that they had. So I think it's a double-edged sword. HBCUs, you need to recognize that who your your customer base is because your students are customers. They pay the deep bills. They keep the lights on. You know, so I think we need to do a better job of appreciating the people that we serve. So, yes, HBCUs do serve a purpose. They will always serve a purpose, but we need to respect the purpose that they serve and continue to grow it, you know, into the future. Quan, do HBCUs serve a purpose anymore? Why or why not? Uh, Absolutely, they do. At the end of the day, the reality is uh, HBCUs, in my opinion, is the only place in the world that a young person can truly be them. I think you can be you and you can grow, you can mature uh, and not be ashamed of your blackness, not be ashamed of you. I mean, in my opinion, like we've all stated, you know, we've grew as, you know, grew friends, lifelong friends, you know, fraternity brothers, if you pledge or whatnot, uh, sorority sisters, if you pledge. But the bottom line is like the the growth as a person that you attain at an HBCU is like it's. It's the second to none. In my opinion, honestly, there's also a spirit that that all HBCUs have uh, that that is unexplainable because I've attended a PWI. It's still not you can't explain it. It's a I don't know if it's the spirit of the ancestors or whatnot, but it's just something in your heart when when you're on that campus. And like Mario said, you have great African-Americans that that have changed the trajectory of the world and how things have seen. You have a sense of pride that. I can be like those people. You know what I'm saying? Like I would have a honestly a, a sense of pride if I went to Howard and Donnie Hathaway went there. Was it Howard or Hampton? I can't remember. But uh Howard, one of those that's what I'm saying. So it's like it's it's a to say that you went you you were a part of you know Howard's music department at that time with Donnie Hathaway was that man, that's something different, bro. Like to to I mean to just grow I I, I can't even honestly find the words because for me 
if I wouldn't have attended an HBCU, man, I'd possibly be dead right about now. And I know that because it was many of those people, my friends, that was like, nah, bro, stay here. You know, that kept me out of trouble, made me think in a different manner. I mean, you, we all share, the, of course, the same experiences with the financial aid. And maybe that's what binds us together uh, in a comical way. But overall, man, HBCUs is, a, like I say, is a place like none other. It's it's truly our mecca in America. I don't, I don't care where you go. I may not be from Norfolk, but I know if I speak to somebody with a Norfolk shirt on and I say I'm from Prairie View and they know that that's an HBCU, that's a connection in itself already. Like I say, we're tribal people, so... It's funny how we can, the joke is, we could talk about HBCUs, we could talk about each other, but we won't let nobody else talk about our HBCUs. That's just the commonality and camaraderie that we overall have, no matter what. HBCUs is definitely needed, but I agree, we do need to support our HBCUs better. Well, um, and the other side of it is this too, Quan. There are a lot of HBCUs that are, yeah, that are, matter of fact, there it is right there. There are a lot of HBCUs that are changing their requirements to, you know, try to move to like higher levels, like with, with acceptance and stuff like that. And that's a great thing. I think there should always be high standards to attend these universities, but don't raise them to a point where you pass the customer base that you had. Right. You know, I was going to just say that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, high standards are important. That's why to pledge a fraternity. And most colleges, you can't just have a 2.0. You have to have at least a 2.5. A lot of school, and I know the AKs at Norfolk State, shoot, if you didn't have a 3.0, it was tight. They weren't even going to consider it. So, you know, I think that high standards are definitely important, but you also need to understand who your customer base is and being able to, you know, always meet the needs of those groups of people, man. So, yeah. I have a question. Uh, just one of the things that I was thinking about as you guys were giving your, your thoughts. What do you feel about African-Americans or black folks who go to PWIs as undergrads and make statements similar to your experience was no different than mine? I still hung with, I still had, you know, black friends or I, I hung with the, the, the black group or I pledged, you know, alpha or omega or kappa. So what makes your experience different than mine? Any thoughts on that? For me, I mean, you can say what you want. I don't, that's fine. I, I don't, I don't really want to go back and forth with somebody about an experience they never had. I mean, you can, we can sit here and have a conversation about, yeah, this was different and you don't know. And I, it was my, my, my experience was the same. So both people could be speaking from ignorance. If a person at HBCU never went attended this that particular PWI, then they may not know what it was like for them. I can't speak for someone's individual experience, um, and I don't really want to, man. I just I find that um, I, I keep saying this, man. Like you can you can um, have love for your HBCU and still appreciate other things. It's like it doesn't one doesn't have to be a cancellation of another. Um, and I think when we think about that, that's going into that psychology that we all, it's always competitive. Like everything's got to be so competitive within our culture to the point where it's like, it's it's not helping us for, like progress forward. Like you, you know, you got Jim Brown, Jim Brown is super advocate for, for black rights and all that type of stuff. He fought a, a, a lot of the fights for, for the people, you know, after playing football and everything. And he went to Syracuse, bro. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? I, I just like, you know, I, I, my thing is that not everybody who's gonna, who's about that, you know, that life is gonna have gone to an HBCU. Some will, some won't. There's enough of us in the world to be able to, you know, spread the love. I just feel like we should be encouraging in these like uh, um, guidance counselor offices across America and these schools, encouraging these kids to see schools beyond just Howard and Spelman and Morehouse and saying the same three talking points every single time. But there's a lot of schools that offer a place that you can feel like not only your brain will be cultivated, but your experience as a person and human being and that your ethnicity and, and the culture behind that ethnicity will be something that will be uh, pushed forward and cultivated in the proper ways. So I think that part is something I think needs to happen on the high school level so that when kids get to school, they're not coming in with this idea like, oh, this must be, a, you know, I heard this school a party school and I'm coming here because the black schools do this. Instead of being like, I'm coming here because, hey, me, I watch a couple episodes of Different World. I wonder, was it like that? It felt like more culturally appreciated rather than just some other place. Because you can have fun. I mean, shit, Rutgers or William Patterson up here, you can go up here and have fun at them schools. You, just like you can have fun in Jackson State. But there's other things about the school that should be important to you as you go. So if you if you don't see that or can't appreciate that or don't really have that in mind, that may not be the place for you. Okay. Oh, Quan, you got something? Now I was just about to piggyback what, what Mario said. Look at Chris Paul. Right. I mean, right. big advocate of HBCUs. I mean, LeBron James didn't even go to, you know, college, but, you know, he got the fam, you LeBron James shoes. I mean, we, we, we have to, honestly, we have to support, begin supporting home. We, we just do bottom line. Yeah. And uh, shout out Norfolk State for dropping that L on Hampton in the Chris Paul tournament. Yeah. We, 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 not, we nine and one, by the way. Yeah. Nine and one basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cool, cool. That was a good one. All right, so let's go ahead and finish it off. Welcome, everybody, to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music, education, and more. Please make sure that you go ahead and smash that like button. I need the likes to match the people who are in here. I'm looking at a lot of people in here, man, and I appreciate all of you guys for the support, but go ahead and click a free like button. Just a click. Just a click. Just a little little rub on your finger. That's all it is. Just a little click. All right. Also, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the network at YouTube. Go over to YouTube, subscribe to the network, and also turn turn on notifications. You can also like and follow us on Facebook and the gram and Instagram. All right. You can follow us on Instagram. All right. Cool. Also, we're going to the last topic. Uh, I'm going to also put the link uh, up so you can come in. And call in with us and have the conversation. All right. Last topic. And this is back to the educators and education. Do African-American music educators work harder just to receive average results? I'll ask that question again. I'm looking at Rick's face. I'm looking at Quan's face. Do African-American music educators work harder just to receive average results? What I mean by that is I'm not saying that the work, that hard work does not result in excellence. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, or the, what the question is, actually what I'm saying, but what the question is, does, do you feel as, Though there are, as, 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 do you feel as though African American 
directors or music educators have to work harder to more or less be respected to get to those average or just to be seen as a average educator or being on par with what is the norm. So that's really what the question is. So do African-American music educators work harder to receive average results? Quan. Um, being honest, I really can't answer it um, because I only know what I do. And uh, I really try to just stay in my lane. I know I work hard as hell uh, at what I do. I know I'm a forever student. I'm a forever learner. Uh, I learn from anybody. I don't care who it is. I only can speak for me. And honestly, I really don't even give a, I really don't even care about the titles and, and the trophies and whatnot because my my awards are on the growth of the students. So if my kids are growing, then I'm growing. If my kid finally get it and understand, even my little victories like today, my kids, a kid that just is a new student was struggling with, you know, a dotted quarter note followed by eighth note. They got it right. That's my trophy on my award. It's, it's things like that. So I can't speak for nobody else. I know um, I've rebuilt band programs before. I know I'm the only band director here. I know I put in about 12 hours a day. I know I sacrifice a lot. I know I take money out of my pocket. I know I argue with vendors. And at the end of the day, I make stuff happen, you know, by the grace of God. So I can't speak about anybody else or another, you know, ethnicity. I'm pretty sure they work hard as well. Um, but I only could speak, you know, for me and how I operate my own ten toes, bro. <laughs> I work harder than my internet. <laughs> you damn straight. <laughs> but Marsh messing up earlier, but yeah, ain't nobody yeah. I was going to ask Mario, is it a, is it a thunderstorm in Jersey? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I've been clear. Maybe y'all saw something. I, I ain't seen it. I thought it was. But a, hey, but them first 15 was hard. Hey, I, I'm in the basement, so I don't know. I'm in the basement. In my gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right, well, Chief, go ahead and, and, and uh, get to the question. Do you feel, uh-huh. do you believe that African-American music educators work harder just to receive average results? I kind of feel like similar to what Quan was saying. Like I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I do know generally what some of the idea may be kind of pertaining to. So I can use this as, a, as an example. Some of the programs that I know, some of my um, fellow New Jersey teachers teaching maybe, uh, you know, not, not necessarily the affluent districts, but just, you know, average, you know, you know middle-class American districts. They often have situations where there is more continuous music education. So the kids that they receive are sometimes a little farther ahead musically so that the things that they're playing um, sometimes is matching the actual level of where the kids should be. Whereas many of the urban districts, specifically Newark, public schools, um, kids are starting for the first time in the ninth and 10th grade, learning how to play an instrument for the first time. Therefore, the the work may seem like a person's working harder to get a less result, but it's not necessarily the result may be looked at in comparison to other schools of that same level. I mean, of that same grade, you know, comparison, but it's not necessarily a reflection of the work that the person's doing because they may be doing outstanding work, bringing those kids from a zero to four or five versus somebody giving getting kids at a level five and taking them to a level seven. You know what I mean? And so I think 
there's a couple things to consider when you're dealing with that. Hey, man, your haircut's killing, bro. That thing is fresh, sir. Yeah, that's that's fresh Beijing on, man. Oh, that's that's fresh, bro. I had to pause my whole thing. I saw the edge up. That's like crazy. I'm sorry. They gave, they gave him a little bit of that that yeah, hairspray. Yeah, you got the yeah, spray paint. Spray paint that line on. Right, right. Extra fresh daddy. Um, but no, I think I think the the, the biggest thing is just like it, it's going to depend on the dynamics of what your situation is specifically. Um, in the realms of some of the things that we have talked about, you and I, Julian, uh, we've spoken about like you know working really hard and then feeling like the kids um, maybe not are, you know, you know kind of keeping in all the information that we're giving them. But the reality is if they are new to music education or haven't had the experience of, of continuous music education, it's sometimes harder. And I don't care whether it's music or debate or a certain sport or whatever it is, it's always going to, there's going to be issues when it comes to kids um, retaining information after a certain point if it's not something they've been introduced to at, at a young level. It's the reason why people say introduce your kids to music young. It's the reason why we introduce kids to certain words and languages as their children because they can soak up that information. So I believe that the younger you target them, the better your you know the high school programs and colleges will be because you're giving kids a continuous education. They don't have skips in English. They don't have skips in science. They don't have skips in math but they have skips in their artistic um, development through the years. And I'm saying it didn't have to be music, even if it was singing or if it was dancing or if it was something artistic, but there's many programs where kids will go years without any artistic influence at all. And I think that definitely has an effect on how kids are dealing and that will then in turn make the band director seem like if you, I, I use this analogy and then I'll shut up. Um, if I go to a restaurant, Oftentimes, we judge a wait, waiter and waitress based on how good the food is. If the food is really great, you'll make you it'll make people feel like the waiter was great because the food was great. You know what I mean? And if the food is not good, then we'll be like, oh, you know, I don't know. You'll start finding problems with things. And so with, when you look at a program, if the kids aren't playing at a certain level, it's like, oh, that band director must not be doing his or her job. But the reality is you never know what they may be experiencing or what's going behind that. So that's why I cannot put a blanket on things. You definitely have to look at the whole situation. There's no one size fits all when it comes to this. All right. Rick. I don't like your face, but whatever. Go ahead. No, they aren't. And we always come back to these shitty bands and assume that that is the experience of everybody else. There are some bands in this this country, y'all, that face issues that will keep them from being great bands, whether that's scheduling, whether that's whatever. But that doesn't negate the fact that a lot of these programs just have shitty band directors. Like, I'm sorry, y'all. Like, we keep making excuses. We keep talking about the same thing. Sorry. There are people out there that aren't good at their job. There's no way in hell that Mario can deal with these exact same circumstances of these band directors that we're talking about with this question and get results and others don't. There's a difference there. It's the person that's running the band. It's not the students. There are students all around this country. There are students in these amazing band programs that are not rich. I'm sure there's kids in Ebron's band that are not rich, but and dealing with all different types of challenges at home and everywhere else. And they still get results. The fact of the matter is, and I keep saying this, I'm going to say it again. 
you must set achievable goals. You can't come into a situation where you're building. You know, it takes time. It takes on average, y'all, two to three years to get good, strong embouchure development and band building skills. Right. If a person comes into a band and they're having to peel Johnny and Susie out of the hallway to join the band just to have a 40 person band, you can't expect that band to sound like the New York Philharmonic. It's not going to happen. We have unrealistic expectations for a lot of these programs that are dealing with these challenges. So instead of blaming it on the kids, instead of blaming it on everything else, just say, you know what? The situation is what it is. How can I improve my situation? I am so tired of talking about shitty band directors and giving them the 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 airwaves and the and the the conversation when we need to be talking about these all-star band directors who are out here making stuff happen with nothing. So I, re- I would prefer to talk about that. And then lastly, I'll say this. At the end of the day, there's a saying that's been in the band world forever, and it is absolutely true. Just because you're working harder don't mean nothing because working, I would rather work what? Smarter, not harder. There's Everybody in the world has been in one of them rehearsals. I know I'm Norfolk one of the only band that was like this, where you'll go and you'll learn the field show and cleaning the field show was running in a thousand times. Get very few corrections, get very few anything. Just, all right, chart one game. Didn't fix none. The same issue that was there the first time is there the second time. We need to learn how to teach. We need to learn how to rehearse. We need to learn, y'all. We need to be continuous learners. I'm not perfect, but I know that I will be good at my job because I prepare to be good at my job. I don't just come home at the end of the night during one ensemble um, when I have a one ensemble concert I'm working on and just go to bed or just put my music away. I'm in my scores. Because in order to operate an ensemble, I have to prepare it at the same level that the students have to prepare. You as a band director have to prepare to be in front of your students, not just writing these shitty lesson plans just to say you did them. And I'm saying that because I did that myself. I hated lesson plan writing. So I used to put some shit together. I'm like, I'll figure it out when I get in there. I was not a great teacher when I started, and I know that. But through trial and error, through years of experience, you know, all you college students that's in school right now, you're not going to be a great band director your first couple of years. You must learn. That's why we got to have people like Lindsay Sargent and all these other masters of what we do, because that's how you learn to be a good teacher. Stop giving credence to the do that video that always pops into my head when I think about this. Is that video of that high school at graduation playing End of the Road by Boys and Men? Everybody in the scene that video. It's it's just atrocious. When I, like who, who played that? I never saw it. Who was playing? Yeah, I've never seen it. Julian, please find that video. Man, it's the worst video I had ever seen in my life. I mean, yeah. I I had something I was gonna say to Rick when he was finished, but that that definitely when he brought that up, that. It is the worst by far. I don't know how to find that video no more. Because I, I remember told me, I think somebody told me that the guy that was the band director let let those kids play like that is now a college band director. Like that's 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 what I'm talking about. That's what we give our students. No no nothing. Just blow it, blow your fucking brains out on end of the road by boys and men. 
which is supposed to be a song that, you know, has some type of beauty to it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I don't know what I'm talking about because that song ain't blowing. So, I know, you know, must not be good because it ain't blowing. So, yeah, man, we, we have to expect better and want better from our programs, but we also have to be realistic and understand that it takes time to be, you know, Science Park's jazz band. When Mario got there, they didn't play like that. Now they do. So let's talk about the good band directors, not the shitty band directors that put no time and effort into being great. Now, I, uh, I, what I was going to say is, and I'm not saying I, I disagree or, or agree with you or anything like that. I just have a question. It just popped in my head. First of all, before I ask that question, if you're in the chat, man, go ahead and click that uh, link, man. Get on live with us. I like the fact that you guys fill up that chat, but go ahead and, and go live with us. Let's go. Let's go. Anyway. Um, but my question to you, and, and like I said, it's not that I agree or disagree. I just want to, you know, really get your thoughts again. So you, you earnestly believe that, that a, a band director that may have complaints and, or is not doing an exceptional job is a shitty band director. That is not what I said. At okay. All. So that that's why I asked that question. So what, so could you could you kind of define your your perception of what a shitty band director is? Well, first and foremost, I don't know a band director on this planet that doesn't have a complaint about something. <laughs> like I'm I'm sorry. We all have complaints. We all have grievances in some way, shape, or form with our program. You know, there are a lot of things that I deal with that I don't feel like I should deal with. What I mean by a shitty band pro program is the band director that sits up there and blames everything that's wrong on everything else except himself. Mario, I'm a, I keep using Mario as an example because I, I know the product that he's gotten out of those students. Mario, in two different scenarios, shitty band director Mario would have looked at the situation and say, okay, it's the kid's fault, so whatever happened, it happened, whatever. Administration don't care. The alumni don't care. No, nobody care. Or, man, let me raise this $3,000 so I can get instruments for my band. Let me spend the extra time to make sure that my progress reports are done so that my parents can have accurate feedback as to how their students are doing. Let me make sure I'm having after-school band rehearsal, even though I want to be at home with my daughter and my son. That's what I'm talking about. The band director that refuses to make sacrifices for anything else other than what they care about. If you want kids to be great, sorry, as I said before, being a band director is hard. Yeah, it is. It sure it's is, not man. Easy job. And, and, and if your job as a band director is easy, you're probably a shitty band director or you're at a school that you've worked so hard and gotten that thing operating like a well-oiled machine to where, you know, it, it can operate itself. There are a lot of great band directors out there. And I just feel like we never talk about them. We spend so much time focusing on well, man, we work hard and these things ain't happening. Small victories are something. If a band couldn't play grade two and now they can, that's a small victory. Yeah, they should probably be playing grade four, but at least they playing the hell out of that grade two. But I was going to say that to you, Rick, too, man. I think one of the things is um, I don't know how many band directors come into their spaces with weekly success criteria or right. daily success criteria. Do you have an actual goal that you're looking to attain that you can say evidence can be shown that the kids went from this level to this level and, and it's shown and you can so see I, it. I taught the <laughs> class, Mario. I, I taught a class at Prairie View 
which was the preparation class for students that wanted to be band directors. So it was the band director mm -hmm. class. Right. I used to make my students build a four-year plan. And I would give them the, like the worst scenarios, make this scenario work. I would do stuff like, your school ha ha does not own a xylophone, a bass drum, a tuba, whatever. How do you make that situation work? And I think that- To me, that's more, it. Yeah. Sorry, but go ahead. <laughs> right, but- building a plan that is not just, okay, what's happening right now? What does four years down the road look like with the work that I'm preparing my students on? Year one, my only goal this year is to be able to teach my kids to play with characteristic sound. Long tones, airflow, uh, bot corrals, any type of corral, anything that gets the students listening, actually talking about intonation in an educated way other than pull the tuner out, play a tune, play a tune. And you up there conduct, kids don't even hear you. Play a tune. Like, you know, like, you know, bro. I, I'm just I, yelling I, and shit. I don't I don't even mean to bring up my personal situation, but but bro, you know I've had to deal with that before. And I oh I've told you the stories, but yeah, I know I but see that that's why I'm that's why I asked the question though. Cause now I have a better understanding of what your perception of a shitty band director is. Mm -hmm. And so now I can understand that when you say that, I understand the context of where you're coming from. So now it 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 registers in my mind. So I get it now. So cool. I got you. I got you, bro. I, I really do. And I'm gonna be honest with you. And, and I'm saying this live. I probably will never say it behind closed doors. As a matter of fact, I'll never say it again. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree. Well, since she ain't here, let me let me get it right because yeah, she ain't here. So we gotta hear the Maya voice real quick. I agree. There we there go. go Jamal. There she go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Great topics, great conversation, Brian. Y'all already know how it is. Uh, one of the things that I, I want to make sure that we do is we keep these conversations going, and we are are one hundred percent honest about our feelings and our thoughts. And nine times out of 10, a lot of other people may be feeling the exact same way. So we're probably an advocate for somebody who's, who's out there. Oh shoot. We got a guest. So let's bring this guest in. There we go. What's going on, Justin. brother? What's up, bro? What's up, man? What up, Justin? What up, y'all? What's going on, What's on with you, bro? Pretty good, man. Just came back from a uh, performance. I said, I'm gonna go live with these guys tonight. Hey, look, I'm glad you ain't get kicked out the dome this week. <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> I'm about to say, yeah. Was you at the Bayou? I know you was at the Bayou, right? Yeah, uh, I actually I caught the first five o'clock flight from um New York. Now I did Macy's with uh, Hampton. Yeah, yeah. I had to go straight yeah. to Marlins for us. It, it was real dope, man. Real dope. That's what's up. Was it, bro? It was. What, I mean, how did you know. like? What, how, tell me your. How, what's your feedback on Bayou? You talk. You, oh, you talking about the Bayou? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm a uh, Bayou Classic fan. I mean, Bayou Classic is the the best classic. If you ask me, maybe because I'm from New Orleans and it's our shit. I don't like a lot of the politics and how commercial it has become, you know, but I mean, the, that to say both teams had a losing season and the first one back since COVID and you still have 53 plus thousand people there. And that, this was a smaller body class. It still was lit, you know what I'm saying? So that's the atmosphere. Battle of bands, nah, I wish it was a little different, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was good. Bramley sounds a lot better. It just, you know, it's still... It needs a little spark to it, but it still was packed as hell. 30,000 people in there. Yeah. Justin, you my man, bro. You know I respect the hell out of you, bro. Gremlin did not sound good, bro. Listen, no. listen. I think, I think, listen, let me let me tell you, let me think what I, what no. I think you mean. Sound no. good, yeah. No. 
Orin? Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a difference. I can hear. Uh, I can't find a year where Grammy sounds bad. Maybe boring put you to sleep, but Anthony is Grammy sound bad. That's my my personal opinion. Oh, we talking about sound, sound like go to them boring. Um, what, what, what that classic is Grammy and the PB play? Yeah, sound bad, and boring. Yes, you play the wrong song at the wrong time. I think it's just they style. You know what I'm saying? That's just my. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Grammy give a song like straightening this year. Straighten one of the top rap daddies. Like, see, y'all say, Straighten that song that they play. But then it's mm-hmm. like, damn, okay, you play that song. Yeah, we got and then you play, it's like, what happened? You know what I'm saying? That's that's my gripe with Brianna. But I like I like the direction they're going in. How was that, um, Alicia Keys, to you? <laughs> if you got to think about it, you already know what the answer is. If you got to think about it, you know what the answer is. Listen, I got to go back and listen to it. Because you got to think about it. Look at my standpoint. I, okay. I look at the battle of ass studying the ground like this. Okay, I went to three grounding games. I went to three sudden games, you're right? Mm-hmm. All by your classic is to me is pretty much just a showcase and the, running a book and add maybe two or three more songs. You know what I'm saying? So to me, it's not, I'm not looking at it from the standpoint, I'm not looking at it from the standpoint y'all is. Like, people come in for the first time, like, oh, let me hear this song. I heard this song. I got three or four videos of Grambling playing three of them different songs from different games. Now yeah. I got another one from the class. So it's a little different for me. You know what I'm saying? I, I, got, I don't know. It's just a little different for me. But it was straight, I guess. What y'all think of it? I ain't about what I think. What, what you think? I ain't even here. I ain't even, I don't even know Sonny Tom. I don't, I don't remember it. Specifically, you talking about the Bayou? Yeah. Well, he asked about the song specifically. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know what song you talking about. I thought it was horrible. I thought the intonation was was absurd for a band with that much talent. Uh, I feel like the only thing they play well is them rap daddies. Anything? Been, no. Um, um, Southern. Well, hold on. When they just didn't know. This is that we're talking about that one, the, uh, this woman's worth. The woman's worth. Woman's yeah. worth. Oh, wait, hold on. I, what are you talking about? You, hold on. You said at the Bayou Classic or uh, at Jackson when they first played it? I'm talking about the Bayou Classic, bro. Okay, all right. I, I wouldn't really pay attention to the Bayou Classic, but the first time they played it, yeah, it was, it's that. It's that song. Um, I like I like the beginning how he how he put the the the, the beginning that da, 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 and then he came in with the song and I really like how the dancers sell the song too. So I don't know what you think was wrong with arrangement wise and everything. I I think the arrangement is fine. I think the performance of the arrangement leaves much to be desired. Intonation yeah. for me is the biggest thing. I'm tired of hearing out of tune high trumpets. I'm tired of hearing baritones completely to destroy the structure of the arrangement because they have to have they shine instead of making the band sound good. There's a lot of things I have a problem with. I think this year, though, I'm going I'm to give them kudos. And I don't know if people agree with me, but to me this year, uh, Southern had the best tuba section. This is the best tuba section. This is the best tuba section I've ever heard from Southern. Like, them guys are playing. There was a couple times where they was hitting them rap daddies, dog. They had that stadium like echoing, you could hear it in your in your video, and some of the other people be like, "Damn, them tubas is bringing it." But that blaring baritone sound, I'm just never gonna be a fan of it, though. Like, I just I can't get with it. And so, and I don't think Gremlin played one song in tune, not one. Damn! So, I just pulled my videos today because I was tired the whole damn weekend. So I mean, y'all go check them out from a different perspective, I guess. But uh. Yeah, man, it was it was 
like I say, I don't even look at it. I, I look, I like it as an enjoyment, you know, Southern Gremlin. That's the little cousin down the street. It's not really a battle for me per se. It's not like boombox. We ain't trying to take each other head off. You know what I'm saying? It's a matter of like, you know, which I do. That's why I want I want Gremlin to continue to strive to get better so the Bayou Classic can be like oh, five. Where Gremlin used to actually punch you back. You know what I'm saying? He's oh seven. Oh, seven was a good year. Not remember that rap mix in 07 Southern play. Yeah, but that's that's one that's one song. I'm talking about overall. Like they was coming back, like they they had a different type of intensity in 07. And so but after that, it's it's a straight ass whooping competition. But that's why people in the comments is like it's not exciting. Like you know what I'm saying? It's like not being ugly. Like you can march in, like when they marched in, it was like, okay, bro, like we know where this one going. I mean, but you and you, know. see it, you can see it in the body language of the students. Yeah, they knew they were over there getting their ass handed to them from a show, from a some, by the time point and everything. By the time Grambling got halfway through through the uh, the uh, the battle, you could tell like their energy was completely different than the way they started. Like we, I'm sorry, they knew they was catching the L. I, I, I mean, it was crazy. I talk to the students a lot. Well, like I, I like like every time I show up to the game, you know, I let them go live on my on my live, and I talk to them. And if I could tell better get some of the stuff students be telling me, you know what I'm saying, which I kind of got a good relationship with students and a good relationship with the band of course, have to. But it just be like, sometimes I, I think you kind of need to listen to, well, one thing most successful bands in today's day, day, day have, they listen to the kids. And you have to adapt with the time. You know what I'm saying? Rick, I I go back and just watch all y'all shows. I'm talking about even the, the last show I caught up on was the one where y'all was down in the summer band. I wish you could get other time because I could fill y'all in. Rick, you need a, a whole a schooling on some band, but that's another stuff for another day. But I think that the band directors need to listen to the kids. You know what I'm saying? Y'all been band directors before. It ain't gonna work if you ain't giving the kid what they want. You didn't pass out a rap daddy, they didn't blew the bricks off it. Then we pass out your song that they don't like, they mad. You know what I'm saying? You gotta have a, a common denominator or, or come to a mutual agreement with your band. And if you're not doing that, I don't care who you is. See what I'm saying? Your band is gonna fail. I mean, you you are absolutely right, bro, because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't listen to the radio. So everything that we played that was considered popular was from the students. I like only song I ever wrote that was something I was like, man, I heard it on like just happened to hear it. I ain't going to tell you all where it was. A, it was an establishment. I had heard it. In. And um, yeah, but I had heard this song and it was dripping by um, Young Thug. Mm-hmm. And nobody even knew what the song was. And I wrote that joint for PV because I was like, man, this song was smash. But I felt yeah. the same way. That was the same way when I wrote Digits. I was listening yeah. to Rodney on the bus, listening to it. And I was like, yo, what's that? He was like, it's a song called Digits. And I sat there and I wrote it on the bus. And I was like, all right, cool. I had never heard of it, though. So, and yeah, it, I, it, I agree. That's crazy how you can write something that you ain't even hip to and, yeah. and, and it'd, be a, it'd be a smash. And sometimes I think directors forget that well, directors forget that students don't realize that y'all was young at one point, too. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's just my thing when it comes down. Because Gremlin is not a band. Me personally, I think Gremlin is the... If I had to pick a band to represent HBCU bands, it would be Gremlin. Gremlin going to give you that. Let me tell you why. Gremlin's going to give you that. The show style, they, their style don't, don't change. They're not trying to be nobody else ever. They're going to have the same big bass drum. Dance is going to keep it, keep it in the pocket. They're going to dance and kick and give you the, the showmanship of HBCU bands. Nowadays... You can turn on a clip and know it's Gremlin. You would, you, would pick them, you would pick them above Bethune Cookman, bro? To give me an HBCU style band? Yeah. Let me tell you this. I, don't, I can't do that. 
Do we have an, uh, the the after show? Yeah, I can't yeah. do it to y'all right yet, yeah. but yes, yeah, I'm, that's I'm, why it's happening. Yeah, it's, we, yeah, yeah. I, I, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just say yes, but I'm gonna just say I know what I know what Bethune's gonna do. Bethune's gonna give me four measures, chant twelve, bring back in. Come on, man, like and then students gonna kick right. them bands. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Grand, to appease the people. You know what I'm saying? Like if you gotta grand Beyonce pick grand for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Cause they always look nice, presentable, uniforms don't be hanging off. I mean, we might not agree with how they sound they may be boring, but to somebody who's trying to, you know, write off a sponsor to check up, get you know, they'll do the job for you. They ain't trying to be nobody else but themselves. That's what I appreciate about Grand. All mm-hmm. right, man. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, man. I gotta get. I, I I gotta give an honest listen to the Bayou Classic. I listened to like a few songs. While I was chilling, but um, I, I, while I was while I was paused earlier, I actually pulled up this woman's work. I was listening to it. The clip in front of Southern, not the one like that other one that was from far away. The clip in front of Southern. It sounds very different than the one that I heard when they were playing. When they were, you know, what I mean, somebody was in the middle between both bands. It mm-hmm. sounded different. So, one of, of close, you can. The trumpets don't sound as as bad as 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 it sounded to me when I was l- listening from the middle. So I mean, I, I would say check it out. But that's Let's also that why, that's the that's also the reason why band directors should clean their bands at soft volume levels, not loud. Because when the band is playing with that type of volume, you can't hear all the clarity issues that are in there. Right. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. That was that was our that was our thing that we made sure that we did every single time, and the kids hated us for it, but it made sense. They understood as soon as we came. Uh, 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 no, don't play above a mezzo piano. Now let's clean this music, and they would hate it. But it's what you're supposed to do. Hey man, uh, Justin, bro, uh, I know you're gonna hang out, man, and and uh, hit us with the after party, bro. So. Uh, we're gonna let you fall back, and then uh, when got we get you. to the after party, you'll, you'll come back through. I got you. All right, All right. appreciate it, bro. Appreciate right. it. Come on, man. All right, bro. All right, man. Let's go ahead and get to it. All the all the stuff that we got to do. First of all, let me let me try to. I'm gonna try to do it the right way. I'm gonna try to be more professional when I do this. So, all right. So the mission for a little love is to fully accentuate the natural flavors of every food by providing simple West Indian fusion spice blends that extend the palate and encourage all to cook. All right. A little love. And they always want to make sure that they let you know that food tastes better when it's made with a little love. So please make sure that you uh, check out a little love seasoning. That is my line brother. Uh, they actually have a sample pack and then the sample pack is a $10 sample pack and they have jerk, all-purpose spicy garlic and adobo, which is their version of adobo or his version of adobo. So go ahead and pick that up. Uh, definitely need you guys to go check that out. That is all seasoning, a little love seasoning. All right. Exclusively HBCU. You can go to exclusivelyhbcu.com. They have apparel that you need for all your normal sources from anything HBCU. You're talking about Greek paraphernalia or are you talking about HBCU paraphernalia? If you want something from Norfolk, just hit them up. Go to exclusivehbcu.com and get everything that you need. See, man, I already got it, man. I got your quantity. I took care of it this time. All right. Uh, And then I got a new one today. I don't know if you can see that. Is it is that on the screen? I can't tell. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. All right. My bad. I got to pull it up. Dang it. I had it up. 
I was ready to go. All right. Unmatched custom apparel specialized in one of a kind up upcycled and brand new garments. They service women, men and children who desire unique apparel that will make you stand out. They have brand new apparel, but they also specialize in upcycling, which is when they repurpose gently used items. The CEO, Jasmine Sutherland, started out revamping her own clothes as a way to deal with depression as she battled a rare cancer over the course of six years. So their uh, their slogan is your journey is unmatched. Express it, wear it, and own it. All right. And that is unmatchedcustomapparel.com. Unmatchedcustomapparel.com. Please check out on all of these places that we are um that we're showcasing on here. All of these places are black owned places. Uh, and we want to make sure that we continue to support unmatched custom apparel. Dope stuff. Uh, she will definitely repurpose all of your stuff. If you send her an old T-shirt and some baggy jeans, I can guarantee you she's going to come out with something dope. Uh, exclusively HBCU. Uh, Quan gave us an example of what that looked like. Uh, and also uh, a little love. That seasoning is is dope. Uh, my wife used it in all of the Thanksgiving food. I think most all of the Thanksgiving food that we had this year. So uh, go ahead and pick that up, man. And I know that whenever I do my, my wings at my house, I pick up that lemon pepper. And it'd be off the chain. So you can pick all those up. Also, if you know somebody who has a black owned business and you would like them uh, or if they would like to be um, promoted on here. I have no problem with doing that, but just have them send their info to myself at passion is 1919 at gmail.com. Once again, that's passion is 1919 at gmail.com. All right. Did I do that? Did I did I do better with that, man? Did I, I feel like I, I feel like I kind of did it a little bit more professionally. All right, cool. It, it, it'll get better every every time. All right, let's get ready to get on out of here, man. Um, which way are we starting, Mario? Anything? Any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture? Uh, I just wanted to shout out North State University, man. Um, we getting ready for that uh, tournament of roses grade in 2023 so uh it's time to give trying to help you know get this band into california um and we're just excited about that so um as a you know former you know spartan legion member man i just want to do my best to try to help them you know get to that level and also shout out to uh, i mentioned her name earlier anisha downey my girl love lover like my daughter um anisha downey's uh, graduated from north state university this year uh she's held section uh, section leader of saxophones last uh, couple of years at Norfolk and she is doing her senior recital. So I'm so excited. I won't be able to be there because I'll be performing, but I, you know, I'm just showing her some shout out right now and I'm gonna send her this link so she can see me showing her some love. All right, Rick, any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture? Yeah, man, uh, a couple of things. Y'all know I got to give y'all some hot fire that I'm listening to this week, man. So I'll couple of good uh, music suggestions for you guys, man. I found like this really cool female vocal jazz group that I'm really feeling. Mario, I don't know if you ever heard them. They're called Sage. S-A-J-E. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruh. This group oh, is insane, yeah. man. So check out Sage, y'all. They have some really, really hip stuff. And they actually have an album coming out. And there's a sister in that group. So check out Sage. Uh, Samo's new album, uh, EP, Yang. If you never got on Samo, he's an interesting character. It's Thomas spelled backwards. <laughs> so just write Thomas and spell it backwards. That's his name. But he has a new album named Yang, uh, EP named Yang. That's pretty dope. I enjoyed it. Uh, Chris Daddy Dave and the Drumheads. 
all you guys that want to hear like some Robert Glasper inspired like stuff, check out his new uh, joint from Chris Daddy Dave. It's called Dying People. That's the one I've been listening to. And finally, a uh, new cat man named Michael Robinson. He has an album called Love Story that's pretty hip. I think that that'll get you guys to work for the rest of the week. It's some good music there. Um, also want to give a shout out to my frat brother and Five Mu Alpha, our frat brother, all of us, our frat brother Jeremiah Johnson. Um, yeah, yeah, show him some love with his company, Music Greeks. Uh Jeremiah, man, I love this dude, like really good friend of mine. And he's um, you know, I've I've known that brother since he came into the fraternity, but he's doing some really big things with music groups, and they're actually starting a paraphernalia line. Uh, he just made a really hip shirt for Five Mu Alpha. So if you want, uh, if you're a music Greek, I know it's hard for us to find paraphernalia, then check out musicgreeks with an S shop uh, dot com. And big up to my boy and his wife, his beautiful wife Sierra and their baby girl. They were doing big things, man. So um, like we said, man, we want to support black businesses, and you know, for you black music Greeks, this is an opportunity for you to support a black business and get some nail for your fraternity or sorority. So. Um, they're planning on expanding the line, but uh, let's show that brother and his company some love. So support black businesses, support black people, and go listen to that water I just dripped y'all with. All right. Appreciate <laughs> it there, brother. And then... Oh, yeah, one more thing, too. Oh, about this. No, I didn't look at it. I looked Mario, right, right come, on come on back. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and since she's not here... Come on. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, what up, what up, but uh but uh nah uh well first and foremost um great show um I think for me uh we gotta do it we we didn't say it but we're gonna piss uh Rick off but you know this weekend is a great 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 actually you know this Saturday is one of the greatest, you know, days of them all. I mean, this is the founders' day of the Ice Cold Brothers of Alpha Five Fraternity Incorporated. So, you know, oh, big shout out to the bros. You know what I'm saying? Many of y'all chosen, but few are frozen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that's that's number one. Also, Prairie View AM University plays Jackson State University for the SWAC championship. So, you know, wishing the alma mater. You know, great success against prime time. So at this point, prime time, no prime, Optimus Prime, preview by 10. That's how I feel. Uh and then lastly, <laughs> and then lastly, uh, you know, uh, there's gonna be more information coming out about my school. And you know, in advance, I want to thank Mario for looking out for me, setting up some things in the DMV area. We'll be traveling uh July 2022, the marching pride of Sunnyside, Ebony Worthen Early College High School Band. So we coming out of there to march for the National Independence Day Parade. So it's a blessing. More information will be coming out how you can support, how uh, you can support these students and sponsor these kids so that we can make sure that we get them up there, uh, get them to see some of these HBCUs, Hampton and Howard, and uh, in the VA area, if we're allowed to. So yeah, that's about it. All right, man. And uh, one of the things that I got to say is, uh, yes, we talk about supporting black, but understand that this is also a black network. <laughs> it is ran by a black person. I and a black family because my family is actually behind this. It's not just me by myself. I have a manager 
and my manager is my wife. All right. So this is a so support black. This is a black network. So continue to subscribe to the network and also continue to get those likes up and click those like buttons. Just because you support me, that also means I'm going to continue and we're going to continue to support as many people as possible. That's why we are allowing people to come in and promote your stuff because we believe in trying to pour back into our community. All right. So just keep that in mind uh, as you are watching this. I actually believe and I will earnestly believe that when it comes to music education, band, HBCU, band culture and all of that, we have one of the greatest shows on earth. Why? Because of the fact that we discuss all aspects and everything, not just the cranking up and not just how much we like or dislike this band, but we also come from an educational aspect and standpoint. And we also want to try to continue to talk about all the things that will help to positively move our culture forward. All right. So. With all that being said, I appreciate everybody who continues to join us every week. I see new faces and new uh, and, and new people commenting every week, and I appreciate it. I also want to say I love all of you guys who continue to support us. We have only been going for, what is this, four months? Four months? We up to 200 subscribers, man. So I appreciate all those who continue to, continue to pour into us, man. We're going to try to continue to give you great content. We love all y'all and we appreciate all of you guys. So just continue to keep keep supporting us. All right. All right. With that being said, though, what's what's up, honey? Oh, you was laughing, Mario. I didn't know what you was laughing about. All right, don't worry about it. All right. With that being said, though, man, I appreciate y'all. We'll see y'all next week. Thank you for tuning in to Talk That Talk. Find us on social media outlets and YouTube at Real Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk is a brand of the Passion Is Network. You can contact Passion Is at passionis1919 at gmail.com. If you would like to contact the panel of Talk That Talk, email us at realtalkthattalk at gmail.com.